Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm super excited today. We have a special guest, Mike Pallas from Michigan. Um, if you see behind Mike, there's an incredible buck there, and he has an incredible story we're going to talk about here in just a minute. Mike, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're pretty excited. When you reached out to us and you talked about this this deer, um, you gave us the lowdown. It was pretty impressive. Not only is that a, um, a huge deer scoring over 200 inches, you took it on public land, probably in one of the best whitetail hunting states in the country, Iowa, but uh, it's not every day. There's a lot of people that travel from out of state. For example, you you went from Michigan to Iowa and took a, a really big buck. There's a lot of people who like to travel, take really good quality deer. Not a lot of hunters, bow hunters have a chance to go out and take a 200 inch buck, especially on public land. So, um, you know, living in Michigan, do you have a chance to bow hunt out of state a lot? Do you, do you travel a lot during the course of the year or have you over the past, say, 15 or 20 years? So the last, probably the last 10 years, I've really taken an interest in uh, the out-of-state hunt. Uh, I try to get out-of-state probably one to two weeks a year. Um, Michigan just doesn't offer up quality deer like these. Or, I mean, even even young quality deer are just really hard to come by in my area. So it's fun to get out and try to chase some of these big bruisers. And uh, like I said, the last 10 years, I've really taken an interest in it and uh, been fairly successful. Awesome. So what are some of the states you've hunted outside of Iowa? What are some of the states you've done some uh, hunting in? Uh, I've done some hunting in Ohio. I started in Ohio. Just, it was close and cheap. Um, and then I expanded down to Kentucky, uh, Nebraska, and then Iowa this year. So, um, so far, I've, I've got a couple more on the bucket list. I've got a, I'm going back to Nebraska this year. Actually, I'm, I'm going to try to draw Kansas tag and Nebraska for the 2022 season. So uh, see see where my tag falls. So this was your first trip out to do the the Hawkeye stage. The first time you've been to Iowa. It was, yep, yep. I, it was a it was a four year in the making deal, right? Because obviously, if you want to go archery, it takes some time to acquire the reference points to get get into a desirable zone. Yeah, and and I know it's it's something where you know you have the draw, and it's going to take you three or four years, depending um, to draw that tag. So I'm sure you were pretty excited when you got the notification this year. Oh, very, very much so. It's it's kind of funny because uh, it seems like everybody tries to chase those zones four, five, and six. I'll disclose it was not in one of those uh, one of those hot areas. And I had some buddies that had been to Iowa, and they were kind of mocking me, like, "Oh my goodness, you're wasting your preference points. You're you're not holding out for one of the good areas." So, I mean, I, I can only imagine what what you'd uh, what I could have turned up if I would have went to one of the good areas. So that's actually a great starting point on the story. So you live in Michigan. You spent a couple of years putting in for the points. You drew the tag this year. Um, how did you start narrowing down where you wanted to hunt in the state? Um, you know, obviously there are a lot of different options, but you were looking specifically at doing a public land DIY hunt. How do you start narrowing down your options? I mean, for me, it's all it's all about. So, I mean, I leverage my my online mapping. I mean, Onyx is a great tool. Um, <laughs> I have no affiliation with them, but I, I don't know if you know. I've got a lot of tools in my back pocket that I think you know, short of some t- trail camera help and Onyx and uh, just knowing your boundaries and available land to hunt. Uh, well, there's also great publications for or websites right in the, all your out of state, um, all your different states. I mean, Nebraska's got some good stuff. I've already been looking at for next year's season. Um, 
But anyways, they really, they really detailed the accessible lands for, uh, for uh, the public. So uh, Onyx really helped me narrow down what was available, how much land. And then I, I mean, I follow a lot of people, a lot of YouTubers, a lot of do-it-yourselfers. Dan Infault has been, uh, I've really modeled myself around his, his uh, means of hunting. Obviously everybody knows the hunting public. Um, I respect them a lot. They're, I, I have a little bit more respect for Dan Infall just because uh, he's been doing this since long before it was cool. So, um, and just, yeah, he's, he's in it for the, for the challenge. So uh, I just follow their tactics. You know, you try, I try to get away from people um, and I try to just keep an open mind, um, you know, but crop, crop rotation, my experience with deer um, coming from Michigan, I will say I, in this particular hunt, I definitely focused on some areas with some standing corn because I thought big, big bucks in Michigan fleet of standing corn when they get pressured. And so I looked for that. That was the first thing I looked for and little pinches and draws that these deer would get forced into because Michigan's got small, small sections of corn, you know, a little 40, 60, 80 acre plots of corn. We go out there and you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres linked together, square miles linked together. So when that all comes off the living space for these deer, I mean, it really just shrinks down so much that, um, that, that was my focus. Um, when, when I was going out there knowing that I was going to be there for an early rut, early rut hunt. And is it something where you try to identify several different um, management areas or several different locations within the zone? I mean, how did you go about picking out a, a couple, shall we say, hotspots? So I, yeah, I mean, I started from where I was entering the state from, from east to west. I started picking a handful of properties I wanted to visit. So I, I went about three weeks. I wanted to let some trail cameras sold for about three weeks so I could get a little bit of an inventory as to what I was after. Because I, I had, once again, relying on my buddies in a state that not many of us have haunted. It's, oh, you're going to Iowa, land of the Giants. Um, I didn't want to hold off for 170 if I, if I couldn't, if, if that wasn't a realistic goal. You know, I don't want to hunt a ghost. I, I like to bring deer home when I, when I go. So I wanted to just shoot the best caliber deer that I was, you know, that I had, I thought were possible. I wanted to shoot maybe a top three deer that I could locate on camera. And really, and I really wanted to be able to hit the ground running. So um, I visited on, I think mid like October 14th, 15th or so I visited over the course of three days, like a dozen different properties. I just did, did a solo scouting mission by myself and I took a dozen trail cameras and uh, I tried to get a couple of cameras in, in several different properties to get a little bit of inventory. Awesome. And so, uh, is it safe to assume you're using cell cams? I had some cell cameras. so. Um, I had like six cell cameras and then six traditional cameras. So I tried to get one cell cam and one traditional and, and pretty much every, every piece of property I had. And I tried to kind of bury the cell cameras a little deeper in because I didn't, I didn't know if people would mess with them if they, if they came across them or I didn't know what to think. And they got a little bit more value to them. Yeah. So, so you went out in advance, you did a little bit of scouting, you put some cameras out. Um, you know, now it's time to go out and, and hunt. Um, what was the week that you chose to head out there and do your hunting? So I had reserved, uh, I had planned on going out like November 2nd through the 15th. I had roughly two weeks. Um, there was a, there was a guy that I worked with that had, uh, had applied with me. So it was, it was a buddy hunt. We, we, we were planning to go out together. Um, I, I ended up adjusting my plans a little bit because I had this, this deer behind me show up, um, a couple days before Halloween. So I was, I was really anxious to get out there. I was, I was just a little hung up because uh, I've got a couple young boys and we had Halloween night coming. And 
I couldn't, I couldn't sell them out for uh, not even for a 200 inch deer. So I had to patiently wait after, after getting this guy on camera. Yeah. So you obviously answered one of my questions. You sort of knew he was in the area you were going to hunt. I did. It was, it was, it was really quite painful, right? So this, this deer, um, at the time I didn't realize it, but when I had hung cameras, the first, the very first camera I hung, the very first area I liked, I'd seen uh, a really tall rub and it was shredded and it was snapped off at about chest high. And I thought, man, that that's gotta be a brood. I need to see this deer. Um, and I really didn't think that this deer would be in that location based on, there was a river that I had to cross. So that made access a little bit more difficult for people, but I just thought it was just too close to access. I thought, oh, I don't know. But I thought, well, it's okay. If I get a midnight photo of the deer, uh, that it's good enough. It'll show me what's here. So I hung a camera on a, on a little side trail of that. And, um, I know, I mean, I, I killed the deer right at that camera location, a, a, you know, two and a half weeks later. And, um, he actually appeared on my other non-cell camera. Um, then the next evening after I'd hung the, the camera, he, he stuck a snout right up in the front of the camera. I didn't realize it was him <laughs> because I'd only got a glimpse. I'd only got a glimpse of some of the brow tines. I thought, geez, I'm not sure what buck that is, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, the anticipation was killing me when I first got, when I first got a good clear photo of this, of this deer, I, I just knew what, what, what a deer. I mean, I, I was nervous to think that I, I was going to get to hunt a deer like this. So, um, were you worried that anybody else might be, uh, onto that deer? Obviously it's public land, um, not as heavily hunted as say, um, uh, michigan or pennsylvania but there's you know still an opportunity that that others were uh aware of that or um, any thoughts on that i mean is that something that crossed your mind at some point absolutely so the biggest issue i had is i started doing a little bit of research and i had flushed a lot of a lot of pheasant when i was out there and i didn't realize that pheasant season came in the weekend of ho- like halloween weekend well i had i had some other trail cameras relating some crp edges and things like that and they just got loaded up. They got loaded up with bird hunter uh, presence. I hadn't had any issues with bow hunters. I didn't have a single hunter on camera until the Saturday night. Um, I had my first bow hunter on a different property, drag a deer out, out past one of my cameras. I couldn't see what it was, but I woke up at like three in the morning for some reason and noticed I had, had some cell camera notifications, rolled over, took a look at them and went, oh no, somebody's on there. Well, it wasn't until in the morning I realized Oh, thank goodness. It's not the property where, where this deer was. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a little paranoid to say the least. There's so many factors working against you on public lands. Yeah. And, um, did you have other decent bucks on camera, at least in that location that you were going to hunt? Not the, at this location, this was the only deer I wanted to kill. So it actually worked out great because I said, if, if, you know, if any boot and crack crockett quality deer presented itself, I, um, I was likely going to take him no matter, even knowing I had this giant on camera, I'm not short time. And, um, you know, it's hard to pass a booner if you get one. Uh, I did. And I did have some other deer that I think probably would have grossed into the one seventies. I had a couple of them that were right there. I actually jumped one out of his bed when I was scouting and, uh, I almost tried to make, a uh, you know, a bump and dump, uh, scenario on him when I was scouting and I hung a camera back, back on his, uh, about 30 yards from his bed the next night I had him coming back out of there again. So it, it would have been quite interesting. It, it, I've never felt so, so happy to not set up on a 170 class deer for fear. I would have killed him. Uh, it would have, it would have taken this opportunity away. So, um, just crazy, right? Yeah, that's so. no, it's, it's an absolutely wonderful, um, thing to have to worry about. That's incredible. <laughs> um, 
so so you got out there and you 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 knew this deer was there. You had him on camera. Um, when you arrived, did you um, hunt that night? Did you hunt the next day? Walk us walk us through the actual hunt itself. When you left, when you got there, and how this all transpired. So I. So I wasn't supposed to travel until uh, Tuesday the second because that was that worked best for my my hunting partner. Despite we were going to drive separate, I thought ah we'll just wait and go out together and um, just be safe. You know it's it's foreign place hunting by yourself. You know nobody to help you. I don't know if I'm going to have cell service in all these areas. Um, I just didn't want you know just playing safe, being a family guy and all. Um, but uh, after getting photos of him on. The, the, the previous Thursday evening, right after dark, he, he was coming back from the little creek bottom and there was a, a cornfield adjacent to there that had been cut. I suspected he'd, he'd come out of a bedding location, hit the cornfield and then was coming back to me. And he was just after dark. So I was really amped up thinking, oh my goodness, like this, this year is killable. He's, he was moving in the daylight. Uh, he's so big. I mean, he's, I figured, you know, 180 to 200, let's say. I, I didn't want to say that to my buddies because some of them just say, yeah, 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 I'm not. Sure. What do you, what do you, what do you, you know, how do you, how do you even put a number to that? Right. Um, but then the next morning I was at work and at eight 15, I get it. I get to cam and I open it up and he's standing in front of my camera facing away. And I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, I'm in, I'm in his wheelhouse. Like I got this deer an hour after daylight, just standing there. I just, I said, oh, I got to get out. I got to get out there as soon as I can. I got to get after this deer before somebody kills him. And, um, so Monday morning, which is the day after Halloween, the November 1st, I left my house here at like 2 a.m. Uh-huh. And uh, I, got, I, got to, I got to my zone um, a little bit after 10 in the morning, 10.30. So, I mean, I, I may have been pushing the, the speed limits a little bit to get there. But I had, I had a handful of cameras I wanted to check and I wanted to pull some other, some other stuff because I just played on hunting the evening and I wanted to get in there good and early. But... I was there so early. I actually afforded myself enough time to stop at two different properties and pull four cameras. Um, and then I still, still had enough time to get out there. Um, geez, I, th- I think I sat in my truck and kind of killed a half hour, 45 minutes, ate some snacks and kind of got my stuff around, took my time before I, uh, before I had it on off it, to chase this brew. So you actually hunted that night when you got there. And, um, now, uh, what were you using? Were you using a, a climber? Did you have a, Hang on, stand. Are you, are you a saddle hunter? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm a little bit traditional, right? So I'm I'm, a, I'm an old school lone wolf guy. I've got a you know I've got a lone wolf uh, lock on with lone wolf sticks, and then I've got a lone wolf hand climber. Uh, this particular deer, I thought he was bedding on. There was kind of a I don't want to say it's hill country, but it was we had probably a ridge up off this creek bottom that was 100 150 foot. Uh, uphill and i thought he was betting up on top of this um i had seen a little bit of a rub line in mid mid october coming down off there but i thought he was up there betting and coming down to the to the cornfield at night um so there's as you got up on the hillside a little bit there was big timber and i thought i was going to cheat that i thought i was going to try to cheat him coming off that hillside so i did i elected to take my lone wolf hand climber in that night because i figured i'd be up on you know the river bottom flat was better for a lock on but the hills, the hillside was better to get high with it with the climber. So, um, I ended up taking the climber. Yeah. Now, um, hypothetical here, but say you wouldn't have had this great success on the first night. What was you going to strip? What was your strategy going to be for the morning hunts? Or weren't you going to hunt in the morning? No, no, no. Uh, it was it was it was rut. So no, I was definitely not giving up on this year. Um, I had a strategy. So depending on what I saw, I really 
my level of confidence was very, very high that I was going to see this year. The way that the property set up, I thought if he moves, if he comes off this hillside at all or, or runs this creek bottom, I'm going to I'm going to get eyes on him. So I was going to wait and see how that how that first hunt went and then make some adjustments. Um, but when I started, when I walked in that day, and I'll and I'll tell you, just my my years of hunting pressured whitetails. Um, it helped that I knew that I was in the deer's bedroom. If I wouldn't have had a cell camera, I wouldn't have been so cautious going into the woods. But I really take my time. I mean, I, I can't even say I killed this deer probably 900 yards from my truck. But I had to cross a I had to cross a creek bottom, and I got a little wet with knee high boots going across. And a few days earlier, we had a good rainstorm, and that might have been a blessing because I could see on my cell camera when I got some pictures. The water and the water was up four or five feet in the back, you know, four or five feet higher than it normally is. You could see it rushing in the background um, since my camera happened to be pointing at. And that may have saved this year for me. Um, otherwise, I, it's, this year was known. There was there was a neighbor guy that uh, he owns a very large swatch of land and he was parked the next day. Uh, my buddy checked out the property and he was going to go back in. And he saw the neighbor guy come out of his private land, his thousand acres of private land in Iowa and drive around to where I parked to uh, pursue this deer. So he was well aware of this deer and this deer had a broadhead mark in its right shoulder, which I couldn't see. So he had already been hit this year as well. Ah, ah well, um, luck played a factor so, in this as well. So, so I don't know if that guy pushed him off or I thought maybe the deer had been battling with, with another deer. Um, I, that was one of the factors that helped me pick this property was the, uh, the neighboring property. I thought the guy looked like he was a very dedicated bow hunter and mm -hmm. anybody with, with just, just that, just by looking at his property and the way it was set up, um, I could just tell he probably wasn't shooting small deer and any of his runovers would have been very, very desirable for me to have as a non, non-resident. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for going through all of that. And obviously you put a lot of work in ahead of time, but uh, now let's get to the, the meat of this. So you climb in that stand on the first night, walk us through what happened. So, well, I'll go back to this. So I'm, I leave the truck. I walk kind of quickly for the first couple hundred yards and I get to the Creek. After I hit the Creek, I probably only had to go another 300 yards. That took me nearly an hour to cover that 300 yards. And I took a dry, a dried up Creek bottom. Like, there's an oxbow on the creek. And had I not, this year ended up not coming off the hillside. He came off the oxbow from the dry creek bed to the, to the tip of the oxbow was like 130 yards. So I, at, at any given time, he was no more than 130 from me because he was bone dry. He did not come off. He did not cross that creek. So if I wouldn't went so slow, I was able to get up in my climber and he never, I mean, just, I, I always take my time. So once I pick, once I pick my tree, I, when I got to my camera location, I was going to push on past that was my plan and up the hillside a little bit. And then I could see the rub line coming out of there and I could see how bad he'd been thrashing this. I thought this year has likely just been dancing around my camera since I left. He's been in here. Um, so I said, I'm just going to, I'm going to sit just off the camera here at the first good tree I can get that, that I can still shoot to the Creek bottom and um, pinch him in between there. Those Creek bottoms out there have real steep banks. So they don't, they really have to pick their cross point. So yeah. they can't just, you know, it's not like a ditch in your front yard or something. They don't just jump through wherever they want. They have to pick, you know, they have to go 50 or hundred yards before their next cross. And, um, so the likelihood of a deer just, you know, if they're coming along and going off to the knot, you're going to, that creek bottom will really funnel them to you. So 
I, uh, I snuck in there. I picked my three. I took my time and I waited on, I only, I only went up on wind gusts and I just, you know, I don't want any metal on metal clang. And I got up in the tree about 25 feet. And once, once everything got quiet, I had a couple branches. I wanted to, wanted to kind of move out of my way. A couple dead branches that were hanging by me. And uh, I took that time to break one off. And then, uh, then I did a little rattle sequence and, and then I, I got sitting kind of, kind of tight. So I probably sat there 10 minutes and did a quick rattle sequence, broke off a little branch. And, uh, it was, it was 15 minutes later, I was, uh, I, I was surprised to see him turn the corner on the, out of the Creek bottom coming right to me. So, um, he closed the distance. Wind was, wind was marginal at best for that location. He was supposed to, in my opinion, was supposed to come from the opposite direction. I don't know if it was bird hunters that got the best of them. I can't imagine why a mature deer would have been betting down there. But now, now looking back saying, well, he was, well, he was injured. Was it? at the time I thought I seen him limping a little bit, but not, not to the point where, not to the point where I thought he'd been shot or anything like that. But, um, he, he wrapped that, he wrapped, he come up out of the, uh, oxbow perfect when he turned the corner. I mean, he was only 25 yards. He was going to try to pinch between me and the Creek. And I, there was only 20, it was me to the Creek was only 20 yards away at that point. And, uh, he was kind of pushing underneath uh, some, I don't know if they were red brush or what. I can't even remember now, but he opted. I thought he was going to come in between me and the brush and he decided to go underneath of it. And at that time I knew I just checked the wind a few minutes prior and my, my, I floated a couple of milkweed seeds and they were going right to it. So I, I was pretty nervous and uh, I, I kind of, I sent one down through the brush there at about 12 yards and down, down he went. So that was, it, it was unbelievable. I can't even, I mean, still to put, put words to it now, it's still hard to believe, you know, you tell people, um, but I'd only been on stand. Uh, I think I texted my buddy 28 minutes after I'd gotten on stand and told him that I just, I just killed the giant. So, uh, just, just unbelievable how it came together. Well, um, congratulations. That's an incredible deer. Now, what are the official, um, specifications? What did it score? What did it gross? What did it net? So after the official uh, drying period, he he grossed 212 inches in six eighths, and uh, he will net 206 is what we submitted to uh, uh, Boone and Crockett Pope and Young for for a certification. Yeah, and so, um, how many points? How many scoreable 20, points? Uh, Twenty one scoreable points. Yeah. It's an awesome deer, and I've got to ask. I don't think I could keep my nerve. How did you keep your composure when that deer was closing the distance from 30 to 25 to 20? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it all comes out, it all, it all comes down to muscle memory. I don't usually, I mean, um, we've chatted a little bit before. So you, uh, you know, I've shot a, some, some respectable deer, especially for short, short, uh, short time out of state hunts. But this, this year had me a little sideways. Um, if it, if I have, if I didn't have good muscle memory, I don't know, because it was kind of, kind of was a blur i knew that i knew i had the deer on camera i knew what deer he was and when i first got a glance first thing i saw was that was that drop tide so i knew what deer he was and i just thought oh my goodness how's it, this is coming together it was probably 10 to 15 seconds from the time i saw the deer till i sent an arrow and that that's probably how i held it together to be honest with you i mean um had i never seen the deer before i could have you know i'll take a glance and say yep that's a shooter that's your own but just knowing i had studied this year just I got nervous the first time I got a trail camera picture of the deer. So, um, I don't know. I don't know. How, I can't, I can't tell you how I kept it together, but hence I hit, I hit him a little high on a 12 yard shot. I can blame it on the brush or, but I, I think I own most of that, uh, that 
I think that was on me for the high shot. So, uh, but that's, that's what happens when you get a 200 inch bruiser in front of you. Well, you have them. So it was a good shot. Now, now you mentioned the broadhead. What were you using as far as equipment? What was your bow? What was your arrow? What was your broadhead? So I, sh- I shoot a Bowtech Rain. I think it's a 2017. It's a, it's Bowtech Rain 6. Uh, uh, great bow. I, I, I've, it's, it's got the most, the smoothest draw cycle I've ever, I've ever experienced. So that's, that's why I bought the bow years ago and haven't, haven't looked for a new one since. Um, uh, broadheads, I, I took a chance. I kind of got away from, uh, I, I had been doing a little bit of research on all this, this new thing with, uh, with the ranch ferry and the increased FOC, you can pick on shoulders, this thing goes through bone. You can do all these things with, you know, uh, uh, you know, you don't, I was trying, I was trying to get to more of like a fixed blade broadhead and get away from the mechanical. So this year I tried a muzzy hybrid, which was the muzzy trocon in a 125 grain. And I had uh, dialed up the, some weight on the front end of my arrows, hoping, hoping for that extra penetration on, in case I happen to maybe miss hit one. Um, I think it did the trick. It did. I, I got a little bit of bone on this one and it, and it put him down and I, I was very satisfied with, with what it did. Well, um, again, that's an incredible deer and obviously your equipment did the job. So, um, uh, you know, was there anything as you were putting this whole trip together to Iowa that surprised you maybe about the hunting there or the experience at anything? Uh, was there ever an aha moment where you thought, wow, I, I never thought of this or, you know what I mean? So it's funny, uh, here in Michigan, we, we call what, you know, I, maybe I'm giving up too much here for, uh, for anybody else, but, um, I shouldn't take it up too much. I, I'm happy to share the story and anything that'll help anybody get out of a deer of a lifetime, whatever that trophy may be. But um, here in Michigan, we get we get our October wall. Well, that October wall is, for, in my opinion, it's it's from all the pressure that the the influx of pressure from the youth hunt and then the the first wave of bow hunters hitting the field. Like I said, I never had any hunters on trail camera until until the weekend of the pheasant season and then November one. I think everybody decided, oh, it's time to go deer hunt. It's time, it's time to go hunt something. It's time to get in the woods. So that pressure out there, I, I would say it's a November wall. Um, a lot of my deer that I that were very patternable, let's put it this way, every good buck I had mm-hmm. was killable between that basically the middle of like the like the 20, basically the October 23rd to October 28th. I had every big buck I had on camera, I had in daylight and was very killable. Thereafter, these deer got, I, whether it was the rut, the influx of pressure, just relocation of everything, um, but the, things got shook up. So out there, I feel like they have they have a November lull. The, the rut chasers really mess with them. The bird hunters really mess with them. Uh, until then, nobody, I don't, know, I don't know why nobody was out there chasing deer. They had amazing deer, very, very killable, very visible. And um man, it went quiet early, early November. My, my buddy struggled. Um, we struggled to get him out of decent deer, which he did connect with, a with a Pope and young quality deer eventually towards the end of the week, but it was not what we thought it was going to be based on how my hunt started and all the deer we had on camera. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that there, a lot of people don't get out there in that middle point of October, as hard as they might do in those first couple of weeks in November. But there can be some really good activity, say that third or even going into that last week of, of October. And um, I saw uh, the biggest buck I saw all season on. I was uh, October 23rd. So it's it's interesting that you brought that up because it's true. And then, 
you know, here in Pennsylvania, obviously, much like Michigan, we have a lot of pressure uh, from bow hunters. Uh, and then again, as the firearm season comes in, but uh, uh, you learn to adapt uh, out there. You had a great strategy and you ended up putting a nice buck down. Now, um, as somebody that's hunted out of state pretty often, and obviously you put everything you learned into practice this year with that incredible 200 inch whitetail. Um, if you were going to share advice for somebody else who was looking to try and do an out of state, do it yourself, public land hunt, um, where they're hoping to take, we won't say a Boone and Crockett caliber, really nice Pope and Young caliber buck. What's the first one or two things you would recommend for people as they're starting their research? How, how do you go and even try to put that puzzle together? I think you got to get, you got to get boots on the ground. Um, I emphasize, I used to do like, like my first couple of hunts, I struggled. Um, my Ohio hunt, I killed a nice deer. I killed a Pope and Young deer on public land in Ohio. But the next year I, I tried to come back and just hunt a little bit of history. I didn't give myself enough time to prepare. I didn't scout like I should. I didn't, I wasn't ready to hit the ground running. When you show up, I, I think it's good to know what, um, I mean, I, it's good to know what you're after. And I mean, everything from hanging trail cameras to access points, drive, drive around these rooms, get eyes on them. I, I don't, I know it's hard if you're going out of state to, uh, to be afforded even more time, especially if you have a family or a, a young family and wife. I mean, it's, it's tough. I have to beg, borrow and steal for every, every hour of time I get, but it, it's critical. I mean, if I wouldn't have got out there and got some boots on the ground and located this deer ahead of time, my, my home was botched. If I didn't have after the first two or three days, um, Fortunately, this deer happened to be in a big enough timber area with just a lack of pressure, just enough to where he's, he was still in his core area at that time. Otherwise, everything else we had that was 160, 170 plus, I didn't get him back. On, I got maybe one or two back on camera over the next 10 days while we were out there, and they were all at night. So they were completely displaced. So if you're not there ready to go on day one and take advantage, especially if your weather's bad, you, your best couple yeah. days may. You know, if you're not ready, if you're not ready to go, you're, you're just, you're just cheating yourself. And I mean, it's hard because some people have to give up some at home hunting to do that, or, you know, have to put in some extra, you know, family time to, to get the, the spouse's good graces. But it is critical to get down there and get boots on and see it real time, what it's going to look like in the, in the near future. Um, you can see real, real hot, you know, hot sign. And you're, and you're, when you're doing that scouting without an actual hunting agenda, um, you're not worried about bumping a few deer. You can, you can get in there and stink it up a little bit because if you're, if you're on public land, guess what? Somebody, somebody's stinking that ground up a little bit. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's inevitable. So you just treat it like that and you just, you just want to learn as much as you can, but get out, get out there ahead of time. If you want good success, I don't care if success is that 110, 120, whatever, whatever success is, the more information you know about that, that present year is, is so important. Now, will you, I'm just curious, will you, are you one of those hunters that likes to get deep in the woods? Will you look at maybe some of those um, overlooked properties, say public lands that might be 20, 50, 100 acres? Will you ever do some weird things like hunt fairly close to the road? The reason I ask is, you know, I mentioned living here in Pennsylvania, we have some, some great public lands, but you can actually have some of your best success on really small parcels. So I was just curious, do you ever mix it up or are you one of those guys that you always like to get really deep in the woods? No, so out there, you're not really going to get deep in a lot of woods. I mean, there's a lot of little access points on these properties where I never felt like that in the zone I was in, I didn't really ever feel like I could get that far away from somebody. If they, if they wanted to get in there, they were no more than a mile away. It's pretty flat land. Like it's very accessible. So you really have to look at the land and the features and think what, 
what what does it take? I mean, if you don't see any, if you don't see any tire tracks at a parking area that looks like it's been gr- grown up and nobody's been there, it's anything's viable. I mean, these deer don't like people, period, right? Big mature bucks don't like people. So if there's a lot of people in there, they're they're probably not, or they've, you know, start thinking about an escape route. If people walk in here, what's the farthest point from here? But maybe you can still access that from another location. And, you know, I mean, I, th- I was thinking outside of the box, so I need to bring a boat back here. Do I, you know, cut, you know, waders, hip boots? What do I need to do to get away from people to give myself the best chance at a, you know, at a less pressured, mature deer? Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, the, the properties I had some of our best year on were not your uh, traditional whitetail properties. Everybody wants to go out there and hang a set and, you know, on the edge of some cropland and, and good timber. Like where I killed this year was, was more of a, <laughs> um, I don't want to say stereotypical, uh, you know, whitetail setup, but the other best year I had on camera were only killable from a couple trees. And they were, I mean, some sparse, you know, big, big CRP patches and things like that. And deer using little bluffs in a CRP field and accessing some adjacent cornfields. Most deer hunters wouldn't get caught dead there, to be honest with you. I mean, so the, the, the locals were, were completely overlooking those deer. And, you know, and I bumped a 170 class deer 250 yards from the road. And that was, I, I told you a little bit about that deer. I thought about setting up on that deer. And I mean, I could have killed him. And I mean, goodness, I, I could have killed him and see my truck. I mean, I could, I could almost read my, my Chevy and my, my truck at the time, right? I mean, I, that's how close I would have been. That, that deer was comfortable there because somebody messed with him. So yeah, yeah. You never, never rule out anything until you get boots on the ground. You walk in there, you see big tracks and big rubs, and it's time to start start investigating, right? If not, keep keep moving until you find that stuff. I mean, that's that's simple for me. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's a, a great strategy. Now, do you happen to have uh, Iowa on your hit list again? Are you looking to get out there in three or four years again if you can? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard not hard not to uh, want to go back. Um, and it's kind of funny with all my different experiences, I I've learned to uh, just really enjoy that. I like, I like having spots and I like having areas. I hunt a little bit of like the same areas here in Michigan, just because uh, access is limited because everybody hunts. Um, but I don't even know if I'll end up back in the same zone. I kind of, um, and if I do, I'll, I'll definitely be, be pursuing that October 20th to 30th range more than I will the the rot i just i like i said i think these deer i think if i find one that i want at that time i really think i can kill that deer with i don't want to say easier than this one but i i, I would expect that it would i would get an opportunity i didn't know how this was going to go yeah well and, and that's why it's called hunting or you know what i mean it's 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 uh you never know it's a wild animal you're battling the elements the conditions uh anything and everything can happen uh, fortunately in your case it all worked in your favor and you put a lot of hard work in ahead of time so uh um you know the other thing is, is you hunt in a, a, a you live in a state where you have a lot of hunters probably get a lot of hunting pressure even in bow season in, in michigan what part of the state do you live in in michigan i'm in the central lower peninsula so i'm over by uh i'm, I'm about even with saginaw bay if you're familiar with that part of michigan I am. And so as you've started to hunt some of these other states, uh, Ohio, Kentucky, now Iowa, and you've had a chance to take some really good quality deer, obviously topped off by this 200 inch bruiser. 
How has that maybe changed how you approach your bow hunting in Michigan? Or do you come at it from a different perspective, perhaps? Do you have you adopted anything that you maybe now use in your home state? Has anything changed? Um no, I so in my home state, I mean I everything's about inventory, right? So uh the property I have access to hunt. Um I just took good inventory of that property this year and it and despite knowing that I was coming back from Iowa to spend quite a bit of time bow hunting now in Michigan, I didn't get a lot of October time because I did the quick trip to Iowa and was like, like I said, I was trying to keep the family happy, but I, I really just, I just gauged the area. I mean, good, good for my area is and for my standards. I, I just set them and I, and I go after that, that quality of deer, which is, I mean, typically, you know, I mean, it's a top two or three deer in the area and that, and that's just it. Unfortunately, they're not, they're not even poking young deer. I think I had one, I had two Pope and young deer, um, that I was interested in this year and here in my, in my area. And I, I didn't connect. And, uh, honestly, I, I never, I never seen one from the deer stand, but, um, that's, that's common. I don't usually have Pope and young deer that I even know about in my area that I'm trying, that I have access when, um, access to. So it's, it's tough. It's tough here. Yeah. And obviously it's, it's a, a scale. You sort of have to adapt to where you're hunting. We have the same thing in Pennsylvania. I had my, my sights set on one uh, particular buck this year at my place. And uh, fortunately the only time it showed up was the night <laughs> I had to take my daughter to a football game. She's in the band. And so that was the only time the deer showed itself, but uh, um, you know, it's, it's um, great when you have an opportunity to, to travel and hunt some of the other States, obviously uh, the Midwest, the upper Midwest, and you ended up taking a hell of a deer there. So congratulations. Um, that's an incredible buck. It's an incredible story. It's amazing how it all came together in that first sit. Um, so uh, thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand. Or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.